Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, parent coach Aoife Lee gives it to us straight about the needs of kids and their caregivers through each stage. Rebecca Talanda Haviland on her Virgin Media TV series Second Chances and the money mindset coach Kel Gallivan on how we can get our finances in order in 2024. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, we were without Wi-Fi all week after the storm, which came with its perks of family connection and its challenges of an inability to work efficiently. But... I do accept it's far better than being without electricity, which I know many homes and businesses were. So I moseyed through this week as best I could. The world has felt heavy of late and I feel that this week I somehow came through a fairly rough patch on it all. It can be hard not to spiral into thinking it's the end of humanity. Um, But I've come to a stage where I'm thinking that that energy serves no one, that sense of defeatism. So I have decided there are different energies to embrace. I had a brilliant discussion this week with neuroscientist Brian Penny on a seminar around understanding addiction. He was a previous guest on the show and he's come through heroin addiction himself. And he spoke about the importance of connection and He took a line from Johan Hari, the author of Lost Connections, who said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And that's a connection to oneself first and foremost. And later in the show, you'll be hearing from Rebecca Talon de Havilland something similar around honesty with yourself being the first step. So that's definitely that conversation with Brian is something that will last long with me. And As part of Tradfest in Dublin, myself and my mum went to see Women of Note in St. Patrick's Cathedral, where singer-songwriter Aoife Scott was joined by her mum, Frances Black, and three more strong women who sang songs that were important to them. And I loved it. And while I've been wintering away like a hermit and enjoying that mode, I was reminded that sometimes pushing yourself out and about can be as energising where you think it might be draining. And I was also reminded about the power of music to connect people. We all sang along and it was, as Frances Black herself said, a form of therapy. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. So in a recent survey by Leia Healthcare, financial worries were cited as the most common cause of anxiety. With an increase in the cost of living, it can be easy to assume that there isn't much you can do. But my next guest, Kel Gallivan, the Money Mindset Coach, is here to give you a few pointers. Kel, you're very welcome. It is great to be here, Claire. And I know you and I have been on many seminars together and I have often promise to have you on the show. And finally, 2024 is our year. You have made it in to tell your story, which I've literally just been saying to you is so powerful. You didn't just emerge from financial studies in college and start telling people what to do with their money. Tell people your personal story. My story. Oh, goodness. I think actually potentially a lot of people can relate to my story because it would have started way back the last recession, you know, we had our lovely new houses um, and I bought right at the peak. I think it was like there was a 12 hour window where it really got super high and that's where I bought. 
Um, and like so many people, we ended up going into recession and we had a house that ended up in a ghost estate and it ended up being worth half what we bought it for. And for loads of different reasons, we ended up having to move out, out of it. But we still had the six figure debt to pay. Fast forward 10 years, um, we were just, we had to, we got a new house, we paid off that debt. But we found that we were working all of the time. A lot of the joy had gone out of life because money had had made us so vulnerable way back then. I think it had given us the fright of our lives. And I just didn't want to go back to that. But at the same time, my kids were getting older. And since I was working all the time, I wasn't seeing them the, as much as what I wanted to. And I remember just kind of always thinking, OK, I can always earn money. I mightn't be able to figure out how yet, but I could never turn back time. So that culminated in me leaving my 16 year career in pharma. My background is science. And uh, I ended up saying, OK, well, I was a breadwinner, which made it extra scary. But if I was going to cut our income in more than half, I was going to make that income work as hard as it possibly could. So I embarked on a no spend year. And that's what changed everything. It ended up being the best year we ever had. We cut our outgoings by over €27,000. And we changed everything about how we looked at money, thought about money. And I realised you could actually live a really great life without constantly spending all the time. And from that came the book and from that like Instagram grew and I retrained as a QFA. And that brought me to a life that I never, ever thought I would have. I work for myself. I have my own company and every day is just really, really nice to live in. And I think that is the magic. Like that is the sparkle that makes me do what I do because I just love that. Like you had a whisper that something needs to change and yet there were so many other noises saying, but how will we pay the bills and how will we make this work and what about that debt? But you took the leap with a few plans in place and a whole new world opened up to you. I just adore that kind of thing. And I, as you say, I'm sure many people will relate to it. Now you say that year was actually one of your best years. There were sacrifices along the way, but it wasn't necessarily that you all sat freezing cold with your coats on eating bread and water. Oh, goodness, no, no. With anything like this, you you have to have boundaries and rules in place. This, like, living a life of deprivation and frugality, you're, it's not sustainable. It's not fun. It, we have this one chance at having our one life, so it's not a rehearsal. So you have to make sure that the things that really light you up, the things that genuinely make you happy, you keep those. So during that year, like we still had our holiday. We had the exact same holiday, that no spend year as we had the year before. And we went to the same accommodation. We went with the same, was another family would go with us. Um, same self-catering, same week of the year, same everything. It was by the sea, self-catering in Ireland. And it ended up costing us half what it had the year before because we spent more time outside. We spent more time having picnics and at the beach and doing hiking. And the kids noticed no difference whatsoever. And I that year, particularly, I had actually given up alcohol. So I didn't have to deal with any hangovers or anything. And it was one of the more freeing and fun holidays we ever had. So even though on paper it was the same holiday, it cost half the amount and we actually had a lot more fun. So interesting. So you did have to give up certain things like the hair salon was gone, the nail salon was gone, buying new clothes was gone, eating dinner out in a restaurant was gone um, and alcohol was gone. That's the first time I've heard you say that. Did you have to explain yourself over and over to people and did you come up against any resistance or, you know, everybody's feeling financial strain. So did you inspire people? That's a really salient point. Of all the things you gave up, uh, alcohol was one of the ones that got the most questions, which is really interesting because for me, it was kind of an, a no brainer because 
I, I could give or take it most of the time and often, you know, it's we associate alcohol with relaxing and all these different things. So for me, kind of stepping back from, from a year, I wanted the year to work more than I wanted alcohol. But having the conversations, I would get the odd query of, well, well what's up? What's wrong? Um, you know, is there, you know, did something happen that you, you needed to step back from it? And I was like, no, this is just a choice I made because I wanted this year with my children because I didn't know if I was going to go back into corporate. At that stage, I didn't know anything, but I just needed to make sure that we could cut our cloth as easily as possible. And for me, not dyeing my hair and giving up alcohol, to have something that I wanted more made made sense to me, but it didn't necessarily make sense to everybody else around me. And I think that's why for anybody who does want to really start managing their money or want to kind of get a hold on things, it has to make sense to you. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. It just has to make sense to you. So for you, for somebody else, it might be, look, you know, I'll, I'll keep my drink on Saturday night or, you know, I'm going to absolutely dye my hair, but there might be something else that you don't mind. Like, I, I didn't buy clothes for myself. We bought clothes for the kids, you know, because obviously they grow like weeds at that age and they're into swimming and stuff. So we kept a budget for that. But for me, I didn't care as much about those things. I cared about my time and my freedom and having that time with the kids more than the rest of the things. So it is about looking at what's most important to you and taking it from there, really. <laughs> so is that the first step then, the mindset shift? I'm assuming, as you've named yourself now, that's your moniker, the money mindset coach. Step one is change your mindset. Yeah, now that's easier said than done because we live in a society that loves us to spend money. Ian. And even now, I don't know if you've seen the ads on the radio in the last kind of, uh, or anywhere, you know, it's it's payday. Here, buy yourself a payday treat. It's it's everywhere. And like all the ads and stuff, it's, you know, treat yourself, you're worth it, all this kind of thing. But for I kind of, and I have no problem buying things, I buy things that you value, absolutely. But I think when it comes to your money, you have this limited paycheck, you have these limited resources and there's certain things you need to spend money on. And then there's some some things you have a choice to spend money on. So when you are spending, can slow down and think, OK, well, what what am I going to feel good about spending money on versus what am I kind of thinking I should or it's impulsive or because it's here in front of me? And it does take a little bit to kind of take that step back because we're not necessarily taught or trained or even told, look, this is an important thing to do. And we end up tapping a lot more unconsciously. But to cut that autopilot and take that step back, it's easier said than done, but it is so important and you're going to feel so much better when you do do it. So I assume it starts with looking at what's coming in and what's going out. Yes, very much so. And I suppose not everybody is fond of sitting down and looking at their bank statements and and going through stuff. So I would say from a mindset perspective, if you look at it this way, we are all aware of Google Maps. Google Maps was around for a long time and a lot of us are quite fond of it. It will bring you anywhere in the world. It'll tell you how long it'll take to get there. It'll tell you the terrain. It'll tell you how to get there by walking, cycling, car. It'll do all of that so fast. But it will not do anything for you until you put in your current location. And knowing where you are with your money, knowing that current location, that's the starting point to bring you anywhere you want with your money. But if you don't know where you are in the very beginning, you can't possibly know even what direction to go in or what the right direction is. So it is important to sit down and look okay, what do we have coming in every month? What do we have essential bills going out every month? And just seeing what the difference is between those income, that income coming in and your outgoings and see what the gap is. And the gap is where you're going to be able to save. That's where your money goes into a pension. And the whole idea is just try to widen that gap little bit by little bit by little bit. And that's what will move you forward. 
What if it doesn't balance? What's going out is more than what's coming in. There could even be debts piling up. How do you manage your way out of that situation? Yeah, and look, there will be, that will end up being somebody's starting story. And I will say that it's only a starting point. But once you have that awareness, like that's huge. That's like turning on the light. And it mightn't be the most comfortable place to be, but there are things you can do. There will always be something within your locus of control to pull back that little bit of kind of power. And I would say for those people, start small and start simple. So it, it might be pulling out your bank statement and it might be looking down through getting maybe three highlighters doing what I call a money audit. And with the three highlighters, you have your green, your amber and your red. And your green is very much, they're the good things, right? They're the things that you absolutely, you love spending that money. It was the best thing ever or it did something really functional. So your mortgage or your rent, like we need to keep a roof over our head. Absolutely. Food, we need to eat well and nourish our bodies. Without your health, you don't have much else. So they're all the the kind of needs. So they're fine. They're They're green. Then you have your ambers and your ambers will be things like maybe your electricity bill, um, you haven't renewed it in a year or you know the lights are left on all the time and we could be a little bit better. They're your ambers. So we're keeping them, but a bit of improvement might be needed. And then your reds, these are kind of my favourite ones because this is your low hanging fruit. This is the stuff that are things that you either have totally forgotten you've even bought or they're the things that end up in landfill in a couple of weeks, long forgotten. Or they're the ones where you go, I have no idea what that is. And they're, they're the ones you go after first. right? So the ones that you won't miss, the ones that won't actually have a real impact on your life or on your quality of life. Right? We want to cut those and keep the things that do help your quality of life. And when you start there, and it could be a subscription that you signed up to that you totally forgot about. And even if it's only five euro, that's five euro that just widens that gap I mentioned earlier that little bit more and you do that consistently over time, you'll really surprise yourself in what you're capable of without going down that awful deprivation and frugality route. That's once you find yourself going there, that's where you take your step back, do your little audit again, see what's in the red that you can work on and you'll, you will start getting traction. You also suggest ringing suppliers and changing and then that widens the gap as well because you will save money from taking that time. Absolutely. If you think about it, certain things you will think, all right, okay, there's different levels of quality. Absolutely. And that comes with food and stuff like that. But electricity tends to be electricity. There tends not to be a high end electricity versus a low end electricity. It is what it is. So I would say to anybody, if you can, like just shop around and prices they are ever so slowly starting to come down a little bit. So there's several different ways you can. So ring in your supplier, absolutely. And also ring your broadband supplier, ring your phone, any of these and even your streaming services. So if you have like a streaming service uh, for TV and you might, it might turns out when you do the audit, you realise that you have maybe four or five or six different kind of TV or streaming subscriptions. Chances are you're not using all of them really well. And it might work in your favour to maybe rotate some. So maybe cancel some for the moment and then in six months time cancel a couple that you have and start up a new one and you'll catch up on all the box sets that way without necessarily having all of them at the same time and that way you can keep say you're streaming within a certain amount of budget without it totally going over. What's the common pitfall you hear time and time again in your coaching or, or online? A lot of people it's overwhelmed it's not knowing where to start not feeling like they don't have control and, and I can totally understand that because the world is so noisy. And if we start looking outside ourselves for the fix, we're not going to find it. And it's usually that looks of control I mentioned earlier, where we look at the outside world for 
for our answer, for our fix, for our cure. But the reality is it's going to have to come from your mindset and inside. And that takes slowing down, stepping back, seeing where the autopilots are, seeing where we kind of end up tapping. So, for example, you know, Friday evenings, a lot of us, we've had a tough week at work. It's been busy and we've had good bosses and not so good bosses and all that kind of thing. And you're sitting down and you're just chilling. And you go, and you pull out your phone and you start scrolling and you see all these different sales, and these lovely shiny things that'll tell you you're worth it or whatever. And we end up clicking and buying this thing. And those little taps really do add up over time. And I'll tell you a tiny little story. Um, and it was when I was in, during the no spend year and it was about Tuesday, Tuesday lunchtime. I was a knock on my door. And I went out and there was the postman. He's a really nice guy. And he had this giant box beside him. Now, I was at a no spend year. I was like, what's this giant box after arriving at my doorstep? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, Kel, please don't return this. <laughs> and he goes, I hate Tuesdays. I really struggle with Tuesdays. And I was like, what? what's up with Tuesdays? And what's up with the big box? And he goes, so many people on a Friday and Saturday night, they're scrolling and they're buying stuff. They don't even remember buying it. And that's when I end up doing all my returns and all my packages that people don't even remember getting. And it causes me so much admin. And he goes, I just don't like Tuesdays. And my heart went out to the poor guy. Like, you just see him on my doorstep. And I never thought of it that way. But he he sees the ripple out effect of us tapping without even thinking about it. And we don't even remember half the stuff that we got. So it turns out actually it was a birthday gift. My mom was a log box, by the way. Um, this huge giant box. <laughs> I was like, what, what person? <laughs> and what trafficked human was in the box? Right, good. A log. A log, a log box. box. Yes, that's what it was. Thanks, mom. Um, but yeah, that's what it was in the end. So she had gotten it as a, as a surprise for me. But yeah, it was just a conversation I wasn't expecting to have because you don't see that side of it necessarily. We just see the money leaving our account and not knowing where it's gone. But it does have an impact as you as it ripples out. Well, Cal, you certainly have all the tips. And as I say, you've lived it. Where can people find you? Instagram is probably one of my main places to hang out. So it's Mrs. Smart Money HQ. I'm there, but you'll also find me on LinkedIn or anywhere. <laughs> I'll be knocking around, but mainly, mainly Instagram. Cal Gallivan, the Money Mindset Coach. Thank you so much for coming on. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Now, parenting coach and mum, Aoife Lee, empowers parents and caregivers to build a calmer and happier home. But she fully gets that that's not always easy. Starting in social care, she recognised the support families need and moved to her coaching role. She's going to come on the show a little more regularly to delve into different topics. But for today, she joins me in studio to introduce her work and we'll take a look at the different childhood stages. Aoife, you're very welcome. Thank you, Claire. It is lovely to be here. Obviously, there is a lot of instinct that comes with the caring role, but there are a lot of challenges, some that are outside of our our home that can really influence how we we raise kids. Yeah, absolutely. And we are all in preparation for going and and having baby and what that would be like and coming home then and maybe subsequently there'll be older siblings, um, you know, within that family unit and it's navigating all that. And I think often we have such high expectations of ourselves to get it right and to do the right thing that it's all it's very different for every family. And yes, some of us are uh, 
um, you know, instinctual in that we kind of have a gut feeling as to what we want to do and how we want to do it. But it is safe to say there's a huge amount of content and advice out there. And I always say to families is, you know, never underestimate our own gut feeling and instincts. And we know our own kids best. You and I, we know our own kids best. While we will face challenges and there will be no matter what age our kids, whether they are toddlers, right the way up to young adults, um, we do have to look at, right, what's going on right now and how best can we support ourselves, firstly, support the kids. Um, and that th- there's never a right or wrong uh, answer to that. Um, and it's often determined by the age of our kids, the stage they're at in their development. And I'm, I don't know about you, I've got three kids. I've got a 6, 12 and 15 year old. They have different personalities, different temperaments. They have different ways of communicating, dealing with conflict. Um, and that in itself determines how we approach. So whether you've got a tight-knit family or maybe a great circle of, of friends, maybe you're relying on your colleagues or someone like me to come in, uh, if, if, particularly if, you're, if you've got wellness in the workplace that, you know, it's okay and it's important to reach out and to ask for help, whether that is personal through your friendships or, or in the in the workplace. Um, so, yeah, and it'll be different for all of us, you know. And it's lovely to hear that those conversations and supports are starting in the workplace, because as you mentioned, quite often we have two people working in the house or family setups are very different now. You can be living apart from the mm. other parent. Um, and there's a lot of pressure on people. It's great that we can all have careers now if we choose to within reason. Mm-hmm. But often people are forced to work to make ends meet, to be able to cover mortgage, cover rent. Yeah. And often your gut feeling that you mentioned there mm. will be, I need to be home more. Yeah. And that's just not possible. No. And like, you know, we play many roles in our life, whether we are an employer, an employee, we're maybe caring for, a, you know, a member of the family or like that. We're keeping the show on the road while also working. And for the most part, people have to work with that. And what I've observed over my last 10 years, um, particularly when, you know, supporting the workplace is that those feelings of guilt is just phenomenal. And I've supported hundreds of families where the same worries, concerns and challenges come up for many of us. Um, it's just no one talks about it as much. And that's where we feel like, how is everyone else doing it? And they feel quite isolated. So when you either come in with you know, in a group setting or maybe you do one to one, that's it's a great time to see and witness that actually I'm not on my own. And while it mightn't be part of your job description of what you're you're doing and in, it's really important when it comes to to wellness and looking after employees to to check in and, and see the home life is a huge part of their day to day life. And it impacts. We see we saw it during COVID and the pandemic and the franticness of working from home, which is now part of our lives and we've adapted to that. But we really have to look after both ourselves, but also for employees to work after their the working teams as well. So I asked you for today's interview and I'm hoping over the year you'll come back and we can delve into more specific parenting situations. Mm -hmm. And if anyone wants to contact the show with a question, aliveandkicking at newstalk.com is the email address and it's always open. But we're going to touch on the different stages of parenting Mm. and 
what to look out for. So in the earlier years, what are the big challenges and, and, and what are some of the supports you can suggest? Yeah, well, the early years can go from the, you know, our tiny babies um, right up to kind of preschool age. And um, like I mentioned earlier, just the developmental stages, we could have, and as you know, I know families that have had children in six succession, a quick succession, and you might have several toddlers, maybe under four or five years of age, they will all be very different in their development, how they're kind of communicating, how, um, you know, their own general needs. Uh, the concept of sharing is so far beyond that, how they navigate friendships. But a lot of the challenges that I would support on with families on a, you know, a daily basis or regularly enough would be, you know, the tantrums, the hitting out, you know, not wanting to listen, want their own way. Parental preference is massive. Um, again, I see that a lot with families, particularly maybe where one adult is working quite a lot. They want that one parent that's at home predominantly. Separation anxiety is another thing. Toilet training, which we all have to go through with our kids, but it can, um, you know, it has its challenges. Um, pushing the boundaries and then struggling to express emotion, um, struggling to regulate these outbursts that we see and how often it's we don't understand, you know, what they're all about, what the triggers are and how to manage them. I think that's when we can panic a little bit and not know what to do. So the toddler years are tough because in, in comparison maybe to our primary school and our preteens and teenagers because um, they're able to chat to us. They're able to, to, to talk and discuss. Um, was for our, our tiny ones and, and our younger kids, they can really struggle with that. And as a result, the behaviours come out in different ways um, and maybe ways that we don't like or are comfortable with. But what's really key is that we are in tune with our own triggers and that can often be the offset of how a situation can really escalate into something a lot bigger than we intended it to be. So lots going on for our toddlers and so many families, you know, experiencing, you know, similar scenarios to what I was chatting about there. That was a big shock to me in parenting that my kids were going to be a mirror to parts of my personality that needed work, Mm -hmm. how I handled stress, because I'd never been put under that level of stress before and having to go and do a good bit of work on myself. That was a big shock. I was prepared to puree food and feed them and change nappies and, you know, play with blocks on the floor. But I didn't think I was going to have to go and excavate my own personality. (laughs) But here we are. We're all still here. And when I look back, mine are 10 and 12 now, I expected quite a lot of them Mm -hmm. at that age. What about then the middle years? I know we're skimming across the surface, but what ages are considered to be the middle years? Well, you know, I would say... uh, you know, kind of five, six years of age, um, you know, they're, they're starting school. So there's a lot more to navigate here. There are bigger numbers of, of, of kids. There's a lot more adults that, you you know, that they're communicating with. And then the often the issues that come up for our, our primary school age children would be, you know, navigating those friendships, exclusion, because friendships start to play a big part. Um, they want to fit in. They want to be part of that peer group. Um, experiencing low self-esteem and confidence. I've seen, particularly in the last number of years, children experiencing anxiety and worry and, and stress. And you think, oh my God, children of six, seven and eight experiencing these emotions. And, you know, again, parents fretting, but how can we support our kids? Um 
bullying. And then at home, it's a sibling rivalry. I mean, we've all been through it. I could say even for my, for my older two, it's lovely to see now that they are actually getting on. So there's hope for anyone listening now, um, if you're in the height of sibling rivalry. Um, screens and devices, massive, massive for all ages. And then again, pushing the boundaries, which is part and parcel of, of our kids, no matter what age they are. And in that then, what do we need to bear in mind for ourselves? Yeah. Uh, You know, let's say if you are experiencing any of those aspects, kind of putting the detective hat on and thinking, right, again, looking at the bigger picture and what might be going on. Has there been much change happening? And things like the big stuff that impact us can have just as much of an impact on our our kids. So, you know, moving house, um, parental separation, and they're they're big things. It could be a family member sick in hospital and and an adult is in and out visiting. It could be a new baby arriving. It could death be death of a grandparent. Death Lots of, of grand- happens oh, in that age. Big yeah. bereavement, yeah. And all of those aspects. It could be like one parent they're travelling a lot. They're not around as much, or maybe they're going through their own personal stuff and they're not as emotionally available to the kids. That all of these things can impact our kids' behaviour. Simple things like going back to school after the Christmas break that can ha- often have an onset of anxiety or worry for our kids, and then it comes out as school avoidance or you know reluctance to separate or. Um, again, confrontational, argumentative behaviour. So, um, look at the look at maybe the environment at school and at home, and what might be going on. There mightn't be anything, but at the same time, it's having a reset of right. What are our boundaries and expectations at home? What are our routines? And also, then, how are we responding? How are we reacting? How are we supporting these behaviours? Because often, parenting styles play a part in that approach too. It is a sad time, I think, when the socialising of kids comes in. When they're three and five, they'll rock up to anyone the same size as them in the playground yeah. and just get stuck in together. And when they start to separate into the cool group and the it's just yeah. just this human nature. But it can be sad to see. Finally, then a quick touch on the teenage yeah. years. And I, I think often people, I'm already kind of bracing myself for it. It doesn't have to be a nightmare, does it? Absolutely not. And like I said um, earlier on, each of our kids can be very different in their own personality and temperaments. And that can often determine, again, how they engage in their schoolwork and with their peer groups, etc. What I will say is, and no matter what kind of a teenager, you know, you have and, and you know, the kind of temperament they may have, um, they are going to start navigating more towards their friends because people the peer group element is massive at this age and parents will often and carers will often be concerned about their, we, we don't know a whole lot they're not telling us a lot and um, it's it's important that we try and keep linking in with our, our teenagers because even a lot of how they maintain their friendships are online when they're not with them and um, often again we see a lot of our young teenage girls dropping out of sports and um you know, like I said, for our younger kids and our primary school children, our teenagers still need boundaries. And it could be boundaries around curfews of coming in during the week versus the weekend and homework and study time and kind of how we speak to one another. They're going to start exploring their environment no more. You know, relationships are going to start coming into play. If we are there to listen to the little things there is more of a chance they'll come to us with the bigger stuff. And, you know, we have to accept that there's an element of, right, 
we have to let them off and be independent. But what's key is they are going to become more vocal. They're going to ask more questions. They're going to get more opinionated. That's okay because that will bring them to great places in life. It can land them in trouble sometimes. Um, but it's okay to kind of have a recheck in and, and note then, when does my teenager tend to chat? In our house, it's about half ten at night when we're ready to go to bed. But the house is quieter. The younger ones are gone to bed. And that's often when he will come to us and talk to us like that. Again, no matter what age our kids are, they'll talk in the car, they'll talk at night time, uh, you know, going to bed. Um, and that's where it's checking in and th- at those periods of time. Thinking, when can I kind of create those opportunities to chat? And often they just want to be able to talk. They don't really want to hear the solutions of the problem solving. But if we're prepared to negotiate, to move the goalposts on certain boundaries, and there's a, no, no, a, a willing to kind of create that that conversation and the nature of that conversation, they will be more willing to cooperate with us and, and um, you know, open up further conversations. I love that. Eva. where can people find you? Um, parentsupport.ie um, is my website. I'm on Instagram at parentsupport and I'm also at LinkedIn um, at Aoife Lee. Well, I do think you'll have to come back. Uh, what's come up to, for me there now is screen time, I think is going to, oh, yeah. because it goes through all of the cohorts you spoke about there. And I know it often is number one in modern parenting. But if you want to get a question in, Alive and kicking at newstalk.com and we'll put it to Aoife next time she comes in. Aoife Lee, Parent Support, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Claire. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Second Chances on Virgin Media is a new television series where Rebecca Talon de Havilland, Ireland's first publicly out trans person, helps individuals who have hit rock bottom to find their better selves. Rebecca joins me in studio now. Rebecca, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Now, we met at a Pride event last year and you were telling me about this coming up and it's safe to say that you are the perfect person to present this show because you know all about second chances and hitting rock bottom and rebuilding your life. How did this come to you, this this project? Um, Kind of like it it came to me through the back door, really, because I was like living in London uh, COVID came along and um, everybody started doing Zooms and stuff like that. So these two drag queens in Dublin, uh, Davina Divine and Victoria's Secrets. They uh, like Davina knew off me and she'd met me before and they were kind of like doing this pet, petty little things. There were podcasts. So she reached out to me to do it. So obviously I did it and it just went viral, you know. And then Bill Hughes from Mind the Gap heard and then got in touch with me because he would have known me from way back in the day but didn't realise what I actually had gone through just to become myself. So um, he was kind of upset that I had to go through what I went through and um, he says I would love to do some work with you because I think like even back then what my my goal was to do TV presenting. It's always been my dream, you know. So um, between him and Nicky Larkin, the director and Jen, the uh, producer, they kind of came up with this unique storyline for me. You know what I mean? And like each, like no, none of them, there's nobody trans in it at all. So it's not tokenism. You know what I mean? So it's like seven different people from different walks of life struggling with different things. But in each one of their story, it's woven in there that I have, I, I could identify with them. Do you know what I mean? And I think as well, What's been amazing about this the, the the show is 
I suppose I learned it in recovery as well because I'm in recovery 19 years, you know, and I remember my sponsor when I was kind of revealing my whole self, do you know what I mean? She re- she revealed herself too and I felt and I feel that that's why this show is so good because I'm not just like kind of expecting them to tell everything. I'm also disclosing stuff through it, you know. And does that ever get to you? Because I even think that in, in both of the instances that I have interviewed you and I've been, you know, delighted to to, to meet you and, you. you know, be in your company. I've really enjoyed your company before we've started yeah. rolling. But as you say, you just wanted to be yourself. So to have mm. to keep explaining yourself and telling your story, does that ever get to you, you know, rather than you just being now Rebecca, the TV presenter, talking about the show? It's a great question and I'm glad you asked it. But like um, at the moment, I'm really happy with doing it because I was silenced for so many years, so many decades, you know, and um, to be able to speak freely and openly you know, because you're only as sick as your secrets, you know. So like for me, I would have had to bottle a lot up. And probably in the last five or six years, it was where I was able to talk about everything about myself, you know. And I didn't, I never thought in <laughs> in my life that the things that went against me in my past are now me, you know what I mean? And I, they're, they're helping other people as well. Um, I do agree that, I mean... I'm 66 in June, you know, so I think maybe another few years at it. But I think it's really important to that I'm I need to be Rebecca, not just the trans person or the you know what I mean? I need to be Rebecca. And I think that's what the TV show has given me. I think people are seeing me, yes, as a trans woman, but they're seeing me as a TV presenter, you know. Um, it's always just been my wish just to be Rebecca, but I have had to pay the highest price just to be myself. You know, which is crazy. Yeah. Know. Yeah. But as you say, you telling your story and speaking actually does empower mm. others. And even watching the show, everybody is sharing their rock bottom, which mm. isn't easy for anybody yeah. to do. But it is really important because everybody's going through something and everybody can identify with the human struggle. Yeah. And we made sure, like, I mean, in fairness to Mind the Gap, they've made sure that there have been kind of support groups around each and every one of them, which I think is really important. And I loved that because even when I would have done television over the years, even coming back to Ireland and doing kind of different shows, um, I was always the freak on television. Do you know what I mean? I would go on and I would think, well, if I tell my story now, Ireland will like me. They'll start to like me again and they won't they won't heed the press. But it was all sensationalised, you know what I mean? My whole life was sensationalised. And I would go back to London and I would be in bits, but I would keep, it's like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's the sign of madness. And that's exactly what I did. And then it got to a stage for me where I had so much resentment to Ireland and especially to Dublin because I grew up here. And I just thought, I never want to see it again. I don't mind going home to see my family. I walked down Grafton Street 25, 35 years ago, you know, as Rebecca and people staring at me and walking the other side of the street, you know. And because I was a hair and makeup artist and a model agent, I was really well known. And just to be ostracised like that was just... But you know what? It didn't stop me, as you can see. But to do it on your own, it's really tough. And I think that's why with second chances is a lot of people do stuff on their own. They keep things bottled up. We all do. 
you know, and I'm just hoping that second chances will keep going because it gives loads of people the opportunity to be able to be themselves. You don't have to be trans, you don't have to be anything. People just, everyone has secrets. Everybody has something to come back from. You know what I mean? The episode I was watching last night was with um, a lovely guy called Marlon who started drinking more in COVID, as many people did, and then it just became more of an issue. And you said something to him that I thought was really profound, that you have to start being honest with yourself. Until you do that, nothing changes. Yeah, and that's so true because... Even by default, not even by my own choices, I had to be dishonest, you know, like, I mean, I remember doing a talk in in London to these young kind of solicitors and one guy stood up at the back and says to me, it must have been really hard for you to become a woman. And I kind of just, I don't know where it came from. I just said back to him, I had to pretend to be a boy. I've never had to pretend to be a woman. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of made, but I, I would have kept on to a load of secrets, even around my HIV stuff and all of that. Do you know what I mean? I was diagnosed in 1987 and I just thought, can you imagine me disclosing that when I'm already being witch hunted for being trans? So every time I would come back here and the press would kind of do stuff on me. And I remember one journalist kind of catching me off guard one day. And it, I, it really knocked this, it, I mean, I just wanted the ground to open up. And says to me, and how is your health? You're HIV, aren't you? And I went, no. And even in my book that I wrote, his name is Rebecca, that was back in 2009, 2010. I disclosed everything about my addictions, about the work I had to do and everything, but not one mention of HIV. So the stigma around that kind of, it was like poison for me. Do you know what I mean? So when I was actually able to out myself on social media about six years ago about my HIV, and I kind of closed the laptop on a Friday evening, and I opened it up on a Monday morning to a barrage of love and care and everything. And I just felt that I'd just taken my power back from the press and from everyone. And from there on, it's just grown steadily, you know. So, I mean, I know myself that being honest, I knew that also if I'm going to do public speaking, I had to be as honest as I possibly could be. Do you know what I mean? Like, I am transparent, you know, um, because I remember my granny used to say years ago, if you're a liar, you have to have a really good memory. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, and I just thought that's always stuck with me because we did shopping Granard and I caught Robin sweets and says, okay. I said, no, no, I didn't take it. He says, okay, okay. He says, but if you're going to be a liar, you're going to have to have a very good memory. And that kind of stuck with me always, forever. You said something else about rock bottom, <clears> which is kind of said over and over, you know, like it's a cliche, but often they, you know, start in truth that, the only way from there is up. Yeah. How do people know they're at their rock bottom? How did how did you know? What what becomes different that then the ascent begins? Great question. Great question. Um, I had a few what people would have thought were rock bot- bottoms. Do you know what I mean? I you always know? think you're telling me going on the Tommy Tiernan show and as you were telling your story, he said, geez, this is like listening to the Stations of the Cross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be glib about a real struggle, but yeah. I mean, you really went through it. Yeah, and I think it was like, even like I was on a life support machine in Chelsea Westminster Hospital. I worked there today, which is quite ironic as well. You would think that that was, but then they let me out of hospital after two days and I thought, these people don't care about me. So I thought, I'll show them. So I walked across, it was on the Fulham Road to get another bottle of vodka and really kind of do it. Didn't realise it was on suicide watch. And then I was sectioned for 72 hours and I was kept in for a month. That was my rock bottom. 
Um, when you can't have a shower, you can't even go to the toilet, but there's somebody standing over. All your privileges are taken from you. Your freedom. Your freedom, everything. And that, for me, was my rock bottom. So I think everybody's rock bottom is different. You know, some people would automatically say, I've been on a life support machine, should have told you, but it doesn't. It could be, it could be, it, you know, and I think that's what people need to do. People need to hit rock bottom. And of all the people that you met in the series mm-hmm. um, and maybe putting your own journey in there is sort of a lack of self-worth or self-belief running through all those stories, whatever its origin might have been. Is it starting to really believe in yourself and back yourself? Is that one of the first steps? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as well that each one, including myself, you know, think feel that they're at the worst part of their life. Do you know what I mean? And they don't see hope. And then I suppose they they hear my story as well. And then they realise that there is hope. And it's amazing by just helping somebody kind of find themselves. It's unbelievable. You know, um, I just think it's amazing how each and every one of them. And I think we got seven of, of like amazing people that just had completely different stories. But yet in each one of them, I could identify with certain things. It was like... Breast cancer, I mean, um, uh, Claire being given, like, kind of, like, d- didn't know if she was going to live or die. I was on a, I was given two years to live at one stage, you know. So each, each one, like this week we have uh, Chantal, who's um, from the traveling community and she's um, a makeup artist and she gets discriminated against. And I know what that's like too, especially being a makeup artist. And then we have um, the guy on who's um, diabetic and has, he's an amputee, you know, it's like, they're really kind of like people will be able to identify with everything because they're real life stories, you know? Yeah, well, it's a gorgeous series. I've Thank loved it. So and there's something for all of us to yeah. learn and be inspired by and identify with. Yeah. You are indeed the queen of second chances. And I love that your dream of being a TV presenter has come true yeah. with such a beautiful show as well. It's called Second Chances. It's on Virgin Media Sunday nights at 9pm and you can catch it back on virginmedia.ie or on the Virgin Media Player. Rebecca Talanda lad. thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Hugo De Silva Scott who was on sound and thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.